Luke 18. A little quick uh, VBS addendum there. Uh, we're hoping to uh, do a bus route uh, to pick up kids for VBS this year with the bus, and one of the stops is going to be over in Belmore to uh, pick up kids there as well. We're looking for someone to just make a very simple uh, paint a sign that has the information of what time the bus would swing by to pick up and drop off, and we'd like to put that out there in Belmore to do that. If that's something that interests you, this is not the uh, decorated sign that we put out front. This is just more of an information. The most important part. The tomb is empty, what Christ has done. And we're going to get to that part here in a little bit. But let's talk about this all for a second. Because when I see verse 32, delivered to the Gentiles and mocked and insulted, spit upon, verse 33, scourged and killed. Let's build on that a little bit. Can you go with me to John 15? John 15. We're talking about how Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, all the things he's going to go through. But now let's take the next step with this. John 15, please. John 15, let's go ahead and start in verse 18. John 15, verse 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The way the world treated Jesus is the same way we as Christians are going to be treated as well. Every now and then I'll get a phone call from somebody, I'll get a contact from somebody, and they're just utterly shocked that they went and shared Christ at work and no one responded accordingly. They, people got angry. They got upset. They went and shared the Lord with a loved one, a family member, a parent, a son, a daughter. I don't know. And instead of the people being happy to hear it, they came back in anger. And what I always say is that's what they did to Jesus. If the world did not accept Christ, why do we think the world is going to accept us? If the world system could not handle the truth of what Jesus was teaching, why do we think the world system today is going to handle the truth of Christianity? We have to remember, we are separate from that. We're different. Look at verse 19 one more time in John 15. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. It always surprises me when I see Christians surprised that they're picked on and persecuted. It always surprises me when I see Christians shocked That our value system, our morals, that the majority of the people in the world don't accept and want to live by. They don't want to. The world does not want to live according to the system, the morals, and the standards and truth of the Bible. They didn't want to live towards that 2,000 years ago. That's why they killed Christ. And the same thing still happens today. Jesus says, if I was scourged and spit upon and killed and persecuted, the same thing is going to happen to you. We shouldn't be surprised as Christians when the world hates us because they hated Christ and look what they did to him. Now, you have to go to the next step though. Jump back to Luke 18 here. We've covered the whole delivering to the Gentiles, mocking, insulting, spitting, scourging, killing. Look at the end of verse 33. And the third day he will rise again. 
See, there's victory at the end of all this, though. Now, I, I don't know what type of person you are. It's the proverbial glass half empty, glass half full. Now, if you're the glass half empty person, you see this idea of scourging and killing and mocking, and that's all you focus on. And there's this defeatist mentality in Christians. No one likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm the only Christian at work. No one ever listens to me. Everybody mocks me. Well, yeah. But guess what? Look at the end of verse 33. The tomb's empty. Why are you walking in this defeatist mentality? There's this great passage in the Bible in Romans where it says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I don't see too many conquering Christians today. We walk around in this defeatist mentality that the world is this and the world is that. That shouldn't shock us or surprise us. Now, if you're the class is half full, you look at the end and say, hey, the tomb's empty. He rose again. I can't make you focus on one side of that or the other. You're either going to focus on the mocking, insulting, spitting, scourging, killing, and you're going to walk around in this defeat, this negative, this woe is me, my life is awful. Or you're going to focus on he rose again and I have victory in Jesus. I've shared with you before that when I first took over out here that... Anytime I ran into somebody who had that negative defeatist attitude, I took it as a personal challenge to try to bring joy into their life in Christ. And I would always look for those people that were negative and, and try to tell them the joy that can be there in the Lord and life. And I've shared with you before that I never had a single success with that. Never once. Now I've gone the opposite way. If someone comes up and they walk in that defeatist, my life is awful, it's never going to get better, woe is me, this is just the hand that was dealt... I just say the tomb's empty. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. What else do we need? That's all you can do. And that's the same thing that Christ is trying to say here. The third day he will rise again. That gives us joy. That gives us hope. That gives us a reason. That gives us a purpose. The tomb is empty. There's victory. But guess what? Verse 34. They understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. They did not know the things which were spoken. That actually encourages me. Because there's many times in my life where I don't hear and understand and get it either. And that word understood, they understood none of these things. That really hit me. Lord, what do I need to do to understand more of what you're doing? Go to Psalm 119, please. Psalm 119. Because I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. And, and as he's explaining here very eloquently what's going to happen to him, the disciples just didn't get it. There's times in my Christian life where I just... Don't get it. I look at the world that I'm in. I look at the system that I'm in. And I say, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? People come up to me and they say, why? I just had somebody recently contact me. And they're like, what is going on in my life that these things just keep happening like this? Why? I don't understand. You may be in that spot right now where you have something going on in your life and you say, Lord, I just don't understand. I don't get it. There may be a loved one in your life that's struggling. You're saying, I just don't understand. And they're asking me for guidance. I don't even know what to tell them. What do we do when we don't have understanding? Psalm 119, my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And if you look at it, it's broken up into the different Hebrew letter alphabets. The whole chapter is about God's word. That's why I love it. First verse we need to talk about with this is verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Part of the reason sometimes what we don't understand is our eyes are not open to what God is doing. So we have to start right there. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Do you want to see what the Lord is doing? If you want to have an understanding of what God is doing, are your eyes open to his word and how he speaks? Because what happens here through the rest of Psalm 119, there's verse after verse after verse... 
that talks about understanding comes from being in God's Word. That when you're in God's Word, you have a deeper understanding of what He wants from you and what He wants you to do in life. If you're not in God's Word, you're going to walk through life in confusion. You're going to walk through life almost in this ignorance of, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, here in Psalm 119, there's about 10 references in this chapter alone to understanding comes from being in God's Word. Now, I wrote down all 10 references. Now, what I'm going to do is start reading them, and I'm going to look at you. If I see you guys aren't following me, by golly, I'll read all ten of them. I don't have a problem doing that. If you get it after the first one or two, we can move on from this point. But look at the first one here. Verse 34 of Psalm 119. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Understanding comes from the law, from God's word. I I, I can't stress this to you enough. If you're at a spot in life... And you don't know what God's plan is for you in your life. Get in the Word. If you have a loved one that doesn't know their plan, they're in a place of they don't have understanding of why is this happening in my life. Get them in the world. Word. You get in the Word. Find a verse that encourages them, and then send that to them and say, "Hey, read this." Because understanding comes from being in the law, being in the Word. Look at verse seventy-three. Same thing as Psalm one nineteen. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn from your commandments. That understanding comes from learning from God. Look at verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I kept your precepts. Now, some of your translations may say I have more wisdom, I have more discernment. It's the same word there, understanding. It's the same Hebrew word. But look in verse 99 and 100. I have more understanding than my teachers. Why? Because I've been meditating in God's Word. Verse 100, I have more understanding than the ancients, or I have more understanding than the aged. Because why? I've kept the precepts of God. When you're in God's Word, there's understanding. When you're in God's Word, there's answers to some of these problems that we have in life. That's why we need to be in it. That helps give us understanding. Jump ahead one book to Proverbs real quick, and then we're going to go to our next point here in Luke. Proverbs 30, please. Because why do I need understanding? Put this all together now, as you're going to Proverbs 30. Jesus lays out this very great point. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be insulted. I'm going to be spit upon. And I'm going to go through this horribleness. But guess what? I'm going to then rise three days later. Now, we have to decide, do we focus on everything that's bad? Or do we focus on the tomb being empty? Even though he explains it, the disciples still sat there and said, I don't get it. Which encourages us, because sometimes I don't get it. So, Lord, how do I get it? How do I understand better? By being in the Word, it helps me understand God's plan for me and for others. Why do I need this help in understanding? Because look at Proverbs 30. Let's go ahead and start in verse 2. Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I have neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? Look at the honesty of verse 2. Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I have neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. I've joked before, and I'm not really joking too much. That's my life verse. That explains me. Lord, I'm just, I don't get it. I don't have understanding. I don't have wisdom. I have knowledge. Verse 4. I have question after question after question. Where are these answers? Answers are in verse 5. Every word of God is pure. 
He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you'll be found a liar. When I don't have understanding of, Lord, why? Why is this happening in my life? Lord, why is this happening to my loved ones? Lord, I don't see the big picture here. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. The Word brings understanding. Psalm 119 shows that. Proverbs 30 shows that. There is understanding. What did Jesus make reference to in Luke 18? He's going to fulfill all the prophets. He's going to fulfill the Word. That's what God does. And so as Proverbs 32 says, Surely I am more stupid than any other man. I am blinded to what God's trying to do sometimes. Lord, help me to see. As we just read in Psalm 119, Open my eyes, Lord. Which is a great segue now into the rest of Luke 18. Go back to Luke 18, please. Luke 18, verse 35. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. What a great segue now into this. We talked about not having understanding. We talked about open my eyes that I may see. Now we're introduced to the blind man who can't see. Now generally when we speak of somebody blind in the Bible, spiritually speaking, we usually think of non-believers being blinded to the truth. And that's a valid point. If you're taking notes, you want to write it down, you can. It's 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and Ephesians 4.18. Ephesians 4.18. Make it clear that unbelievers... Eyes are blinded to the truth. If you have a loved one that's not saved and you keep telling them about Christ and they just don't seem to get it, their heart is blinded to the truth. And that that veil, that blinding has to be lifted when their heart wants to know about the truth. That's why they just don't get it. There's been many times in my life where I've shared Christ with somebody. I walked away saying, what? What else has to happen? Why don't they get it? They're blinded. God opened their eyes. There's also another type of spiritual blindness in the Bible. Not non-believers, but Christians who have now become blinded. Christians who have now become blinded. Revelation 3 talks about this. Where it talks about where Jesus says that we think that we're rich, we think that we're healthy, we think that we're wise. But he says you're really poor, blind, naked, and destitute. There's another one in 2 Peter 5 where it says we become blinded to why Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Have you ever seen somebody who started out good, active in church, active in service, and the word, and prayer, and ministry, and then slowly you see them just get off track? Like, what happened to them? They got blinded. Now, they're not blinded to the truth of the gospel. They're blinded to what Jesus did for them. And as they're blinded to that, it affects how they live their lives. Boy, I see that a lot, and you hate to see it. They start out good, they start out strong, and then they just get blinded to what God is asking them to do in their lives, and now they're off track. So either way you look at it, blind loved ones that don't know Christ, or blind people that confess Christ, but aren't living the way, we can learn from this. What happens? Verse 35, we're by the road begging. That's all we can do. See, when you don't have Christ, when you don't have that strong relationship with them, you, you just stand by the road begging. Because you got nothing. Nothing at all. Verse 36. You hear a multitude, but guess what? This multitude can't help you. Hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. There's this huge group of people around, but they just can't help. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Look how many people are hurting in this world. They need a deeper meaning and purpose in life. They're surrounded by people. 
They're surrounded by family. They're surrounded by co-workers, by friends. Unless you're pointing them towards Jesus, there's nothing we can do to help. That's how simple this answer is, is that you point them towards the Lord. Verse 37, so they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. What's his response? Verse 38, cries out. That's all he can do. He cries out. Remember just a couple weeks ago, we talked about having a childlike faith. We talked about how babies, their only mode of communication is crying. If they're hungry, they cry. If they need to go to bed, they cry. That's all they can do is they just can cry out. And we talked about having a childlike faith. I'm supposed to just cry out to the Lord. Now, the problem is I mature in my walk with the Lord, which makes me think I'm smarter. So I don't cry so much because that's only what baby Christians do. No, even as a mature Christian, I better be crying out left and right. This thing, the only thing this guy can do in verse 38 is cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's all he has is, Lord, I need you. Well, what happens in verse 39? People tell him to be quiet. Boy, isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? People tell him to be quiet. I've seen people get saved, and they're excited. They're pumped. And they go home, and they always say, Well, you know what? My mom and dad have always kind of been into church. My friends have always kind of been in church. So they go home, and they tell them, I'm now saved. And they think there's going to be this expectation and excitement of, Wow, they're going to be happy for me. Well, they're happy initially. But then what happens is you're a little too crazy for Christ. So they tell you to be quiet. Hey, I'm happy for you. That's good for you, but you don't need to push it so much. Hey, I'm glad that you've made those changes in life, but you know what? We don't need to talk about it all the time. Have you ever had that experience that when you first got saved or start going deep in the Lord, instead of people encouraging you and how the changes you've made, in fact, you run into verse 39 of, hey, could you quiet down the rhetoric just a little bit? Here's the blind man crying out, And they told him to be quiet. But what's his response? Verse 39, he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. All he knew was to cry out to Jesus. That's all all he knew. Think about how simple that point is. If you're struggling in life, all you have to do is cry out to Jesus. If you have someone come into your life and they don't know what to do, they don't have understanding, they're struggling, the only thing you can do is point them towards Christ. That's how simple this is. goes back to what we talked about in Proverbs 30. Surely I am more stupid than any other man and have no wisdom of the Holy One. Verse 4 in Proverbs 30 had all those questions that he couldn't answer. There is wisdom in not knowing everything. There's wisdom in saying, I don't have the answer to your problems. I only can give you Jesus. There's wisdom in accepting the fact you don't know anything. Have you ever ran into somebody who knows everything? I mean, they literally know everything. No matter what topic you bring up, they know something about that topic. And they will jump into that conversation just to see what happens. Most of the time with people like that, I try to show Christian love. Sometimes I get a little snarky. And I just start bringing up really weird things to see how far they'll take this. And I've seen people take stuff far. They don't know anything. But they sure seem like they do. There's wisdom in accepting the fact, I don't know. Sometimes you may come to me and you may say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this. What should I do? And my best biblical answer is, I don't know. But we can pray about it together. I don't know, but here's a great verse that deals with this. Let's pray over this verse and read and study it together. I don't know, but you know what? Jesus has the answer, so let's cry out to him. There's wisdom in that. This blind man, the only thing he had was his voice. And my goodness, he used his voice to cry out. You may feel very limitless, you may be very helpless right now in your life, but you have a voice. You can cry out to Christ. 
What happens when you cry out to Christ? Verse 40, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Boy, how simple. He's blind. He's by the road begging. He has nothing. He's surrounded by people. The Bible says there was multitudes. None of them could help him. He hears about Jesus. The only thing he does is cry out. While the crowds try to silence him, he cries out all the more. Jesus stopped. Jesus heals him. And what an amazing difference that is. See, that's what happens. When you are blind in this life, Jesus comes in and gives you sight. That's exactly what he does. Be it blind of never knowing Christ the first time, he opens your eyes to what salvation is. Or it's that second type of blindness we talked about, where you know the truth, but you've gone off path. And you've become blind to what Jesus has done in your past. And instead of focusing on going deeper in the Lord, you're focusing on you. Jesus takes away that blindness and says, let's recommit to a real relationship with each other. And what a blessing that can be. What's the response to this? Verse 43. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Glorifying and praise. Now, it's interesting. Some of your translations don't have two different words there, glorifying and praise. Some of it talks about praising and praise. They're actually two different Greek words, and I think this is important. The blind man glorified God. That Greek word means an opinion. It means that this guy, his opinion is that God was deserving of glory for what he's done. So since God was deserving of glory for what he'd done, he glorified him. We've talked about that a lot. When you come in to worship the Lord, you worship the Lord for what he's done. You worship the Lord for what He's doing. You worship the Lord for what He's going to do. And you also just worship the Lord for being the Lord. It's all those elements. So when you come and give worship to the Lord, you're glorifying Him, which you are saying, in my opinion, Jesus, God, is deserving of worship. And so therefore, I worship Him. The response to that is the people praised God. Verse 43. That word praise literally means narrative, story. It means that these people heard What the blind man said, and they stopped and they said, that story of what God's done in his life now causes me to want to praise God too. Now let's put this all together. God does something in your life, so therefore you want to praise him. So you glorify him. I hear what God has done in your life, that encourages me, so therefore I praise God along with you. Or vice versa, I come into you and I say, in my opinion, God has done this and I glorify God for what he's done. You hear that narrative, you hear that story, and you say, I want to praise him right along with you. Now that's a really simple point. But you know what the problem is as human beings? If I'm having a bad day, everybody's supposed to have a bad day with me. And if I'm having a good day, everybody's supposed to have a good day with me. Now, maybe you're not like that because you're mature. I'm immature. So I have those moments. I have those moments if I'm being a grouch, well, then by golly, you better be a grouch with me. And if I have a moment where I'm being happy, don't you dare tell me any bad news because I'm very selfish. That's what happens as humans. What God wants us to do, and one of my favorite verses in the Bible is rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Is the way the body of Christ is supposed to work is this is you have something amazing happen in your life. You come and you glorify God for that. No matter what's happening in my life, I put my emotions and my thoughts and feelings to the side and I say, Lord, you moved in that person's life and I praise you for moving in that person's life and I thank you for that. I don't sit there and say, well, why doesn't he move in my life? Why doesn't he do something for me? Oh, great, so your marriage is better and mine's still not. Oh, great, you got good news at the doctor when I didn't get good news at the doctor. 
No, I praise God for who he is and what he's done, no matter what's happening in my life. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are a body of Christ. That's why we take the time to lift up prayer requests and praises, that we may rejoice and pray together. Too often in churches, and especially if there's a church where people don't know each other personally, we don't get into other people's lives. There's not that closeness. There's not that brother, sister, body feel. We want to always have that, that if somebody you've never met says, hey, I want to glorify God because my third cousin twice removes hairdresser's friend got saved. You say, amen. I don't care what baggage you brought in. You say, amen. Because we praise God for what he's doing in everybody's life and we glorify that. Because why? Aren't we all just blind people sitting by the road begging, looking for something deeper? Now here's the problem. Some of us may not think for the blind people by the road. My life's not that bad. I got pretty good understanding of what's going on. I don't really feel I'm empty. I don't really feel any of that type of stuff. You may not feel that at this moment. But as life goes on, and as you start seeing the emptiness of life, there comes a time and a place where we stop and say, Lord, is this all there is? There has to be something deeper. And we'll all have moments of that being by the road, saying, Lord, i got to cry out to you because that's all I have is you. I tell you, in this world, there's lots of disappointments, there's lots of letdowns, there's lots of frustrations. I have a lot of times I have people come up to me and say, how can a God of love have this type of world? And my response always to that, this is not the type of world that God wanted. He wanted Garden of Eden. He wanted Genesis 1 and 2. We created Genesis 3. This is not the world that the Lord wanted. And when we look towards the beauty and the blessing of heaven, now we see the full picture of what the Lord wants. We really are the disciples who don't have any understanding. Our understanding comes from God's word. We are the blind man sitting by the road begging because we don't see the big picture. And the only thing we can do is cry out to Jesus. And when we have been touched by the Lord, what do we do? We do verse verse 43. We glorify God and we let that affect other people. And when you are crying out on the side of the Lord because you need help, in verse 39 when people are trying to tell you to be quiet... Do not let the influences of the world or the world system dictate anything in your life. You are held to a different standard, a different truth, a different moral, and according to the Bible. And because of that, we take a stand in this world that is falling apart. Think about what we read back in John 15. We are not of this world. He has called us out of this world. And as we get called out of this world, it does make it more difficult. It's easier to go with the masses, it always is, than to be the minority. But we need to stand strong and stand true in our beliefs and the systems that the Bible has set up. And we know that that truth will win out in the end. We know it will. Marv, we come forward here for the final song. Let's just pray real quick.